daughters, sisters, and wives. They're gonna change our lives. Big women, big girls. They'll make a better world. Invest in her. Now here's your host, Catherine Gray. Welcome to this week's edition of Invest in Her. I'm your host, Catherine Gray, founder of She Angel Investors and co-founder of the She Angels Foundation. As you know, we're all about funding women. Today we have on an exceptional guest. She is identified by Worth Magazine as one of the 16 financial powerhouses. Marie Claire says she's one of the 50 most connected women and uh, business insider. They say she is one of 22 angel investors that every startup founder needs to know. Please welcome to the show, Lorreen Pendleton. Hi, Lorreen. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you know what? I know I only gave you like three of your accolades, <laughs> <laughs> but those were really impressive. I wanted to start with those. Thank um, you. You know, um, I want to talk about, you know, you just shared with me, you were born in New York. Uh, Today, you're coming to us from New Jersey Shore. Um, I wanted to talk about your incredible journey. And, um, you know, I noticed that you you started as an attorney uh, at a a small entertainment boutique. Uh, I don't know about small, but an entertainment boutique uh, firm representing people like uh, Prince and Stevie Wonder and uh, other great artists. And then you you took an interesting path. And I want to talk about your journey. Like, how did you go from there to being, you know, really an icon in the investment world? And, and then I want to talk more about, of course, the investment world, because I know one thing you and I agree on is we need more female angel investors. So we are going to get to that. But first, okay. how did you make that transition in that journey? Uh, yeah, that's a really, really great question. I think, um, you know, you mentioned I started out as a lawyer. Actually, I started out in entertainment after graduating college and then ended up going to law school and, um, you know, kind of dating myself. But when I was practicing, the Internet had just come out. Um, MP3 was uh, a big thing before streaming. It was people could digital download. And I really saw an, a, as an inflection point, the internet coming out and that it was like this, you know, synergy between entertainment and the internet, a new way of delivering content to people. And so I ended up leaving practicing and I joined an internet startup. It was an Israeli company and they liked my background because I had, uh, you know, entertainment and media contacts. And so they were licensing their technology to, you know, companies that were media, content players, and uh, and so got equity in the company. And I tell people, you know, that was my first lesson in product market fit because we had a great product. The engineers are former military intelligence officers in Israeli army. And we had great, I mean, great, really great tech people. Uh, but we created something that was ahead of its time and the market wasn't there. And so we had raised money from GE Ventures. We ended up having to unwind the company because we didn't get enough sales and tractions. And I, I did business development sales. And, um, you know, that was my first lesson. And, and that was a reject there that mm-hmm. I just read that is Israel is like one of the leaders in uh, tech uh, creations and innovations. Right. Um, yeah, it was. It, it, I mean, it is. And yeah. when I worked for when I worked for this company was called Select Minds. Um, they actually called the area where the tech companies was Silicon Wadi. 
And, you know, it was before now Google's there, a lot of big tech companies, but it was just burgeoning. And so this was like in the late, uh, like, no, early 2000s. So uh, it looks very different. I haven't been to Israel since I worked at that company, but now it's definitely a hotbed of technology and a lot of great companies have come out of Israel and it's, it's really grown. Uh, but I was there at the very infancy. So think about just also Silicon Valley, not so much Silicon Valley, but Silicon Alley in New York was a burgeoning tech scene around that time. And, uh, but it was, it was a really great experience. Uh, you know, I learned a lot, um, you know, learned about technology in that way. Uh, although we had to unwind the company and we ended up not being successful, it was a really great uh, lesson for me, product market fit. So you can have an amazing product, but if people aren't buying it, you don't have a viable business. And, and so you know, just to interject there, sure. you know, what an interesting transition from you working in, you know, entertainment law to going in technology. I bet it was one of the best moves you ever made. I think it was. Yeah. I think so. You know, I mean, sometimes I do. Uh, yeah, my, I keep in touch with my boss, my former boss who ran the law firm, and he's doing some interesting things. And I wonder if I continue on that path, what, what would my life look like? Uh, you know, I mean, representing celebrity clients. I mean, it's really exciting, but I don't regret anything. I love what I'm doing now. Um, and, you know, where I'm at to this point in terms of, you know, launch a VC firm, which we can talk about, but, um, but yeah, so work to startups, you know, that company unwinded, we had to, you know, it shut down. So I was at a crossroads. Do I go back to law or do I go back, continue in the startup journey? So I chose the latter. I continued the startup journey. I ended up joining another company, uh, startup called community connect. And they were one of the first social networking uh, companies out there, social media, social networking companies. We had three web properties, Black Planet, Asian Avenue, and Mahente. And so they basically were before Facebook existed, social media, you could have set up a page, you could commute, connect with people, um, but it was geared towards the ethnic market. And so at one point we had registered user, over 25 million registered users. We were the first um, social media company to have, I think actually just in general, kind of web company to have over a million registered uh, users. And so um, really for Black Planet, that was um, really interesting. And I, yeah, and I did sales. I did sales and business development, getting advertisers to advertise on our website. So we had to convince, which seems so absurd now, we had to actually convince advertisers and our clients that Black people, Latinos are surfing the net and they're online. So they said, oh, well, they don't have computers. They're not online. Um, so that was like, once we crossed that hurdle and then we showed them our stats and our data and they were like, wow, you know, not only were we had these members, but they were sticky on average. They were spending like over an hour on our website. Um, and again, you know, now there's a lot of websites. So, but we were there at the forefront. And so people would literally be on there for an hour connecting with each other. Um, they would, you know, we launched a dating product because we had, you know, the eyeballs. Uh, and so that was a really great experience um, as well. And then I joined another company. That company was sold. I joined another company um, that was um, licensing their technology um, to companies, basically uh, alumni programs. So outsourcing, it's a B2B, business-to-business -business SaaS play. Um, so for instance, um, Microsoft was one of the first ones to create um, kind of an alumni program, McKinsey as well. And so, you know, people come, leave McKinsey, they start out their career and then they go on and they do amazing things. 
you know, but if you have an alumni website, much as if you went to Harvard, you know, a, a way that people can communicate, keep in touch, post jobs, you know, say, hey, I'm coming into New York, let's do a get together with our New York uh, alums. But it was around a company. And so for companies, why it's important to keep your alumni, uh, you know, friend of mine is because in, in some cases, 5% become decision makers where they can buy either legal services or consulting services. If you keep in touch with them throughout their career trajectory, they have a loyalty to, towards you. And then also some people will boomer, they call boomerangs, they'll come back to your company. They may go off and come back. You have to pay recruiting fees and they know the culture. Um, so, you know, a rehire is a good thing. And it just seems like everything you've done has led to you being a successful investor. Uh, you know, just learning the whole tech world, the startup world, all exactly. Of that. Yeah. yeah. So I've been an operator. You know, I think that's that's really important to have that skill set <laughs> to understand. You know, what it is to to launch a company, what it is to grow your company, what do you need to do to be accountable to investors, hitting benchmarks. Um, so yeah, I had that experience, which I think has you know all of us has uh, built up to what I'm what I'm doing now. Right. And for our audience, like explain what an operator is. Sure. So exactly what I said, working at startup companies, um, you know, I, I did, I did business development and sales, you know, every company has different functions. You have a marketing person that, you know, helps get the brand out there, the name of the company out there to get hopefully leads and potential customers and clients. Um, my, my job was to generate revenue, close them, get them to, you know, say HBO is coming out with a new show. Uh, you know, hey, you should market on our our websites. We have a great, you know, we have a lot of people that come. They spend a lot of time. You can, they can see your brand. And I would know, we would negotiate what that would cost online marketing, you know, what that would cost. Um, we did, we did a deal, you know, more business development, not straight like sales, but business development. Um, we did a deal with, um, uh, gosh, oh, Earthlink. <laughs> Do you remember Earthlink? Yes. So I'm completely dating myself. So that was like a dial-up inter- <laughs> ISP internet service provider. And they wanted to get more people signing up for their, you know, um, to, to get on their service. And so every person that we drove that they came from us, we would get a bounty, like $50 per new person. And so we came up with really great strategies on how to do that and market that across our website. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really, you know, I learned a lot as an operator or working on, you know, as a startup, as one of the employees and helping the company be successful. And so the company, the, the alumni company um, that they actually sold to Oracle. So I, not too bad. Two out of the three companies that I worked for ended up having ex- exits. Um, you know, the first one went bust, but it was a great lesson for me. And also when I was interviewing for the next company to go to just, you know, again, product market fit, you may have a great product, but is there a market people who want to buy your, your product? And that informs me as I'm looking at companies to invest in um, even today. I totally. I see everything you've done from the legal knowledge to the tech knowledge to the sales to the startup world and everything and, and your two exits, which is that's a big deal. Uh, growing successful companies. That's that's no easy thing. And and a, a lot of luck involved in that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so but I could see how everything you did, that's what makes you such a, a, a good investor. And I want to talk about all the things in the investment world that you're involved in, because it's really fascinating. Um, sure. I think that you're a member of Pipeline Angels. And right. 
because you and I are big advocates of women becoming angel investors, mm -hmm. I want to mention that uh, you and I were on the uh, WOCON Women of Color Summit, and we agreed that, you know, more women need to be angel investors, all women, all ethnicities, all ages, all sexualities, we all need to be more uh, well um, informed about the angel investing world and being limited partners. Um, and so would you say pipeline is a great way for women to, um, uh, educate themselves about, uh, angel investing? Yeah. I mean, so really, so the transition, you know, from investor, uh, happened for me because I actually went through Pipeline Angels. I was like second class to graduate. And then, you know, that was nine years ago. And now Pipeline has been around for 10 years and has, you know, um, I think something like 500 women have gone through Pipeline Angels, which is pretty remarkable. And a lot of them have launched funds. Well, I would say a lot, but people have launched funds and are doing stuff in the e entrepreneur ecosystem or investing ecosystem. And so that really I learned how to going through that training program. I learned how to value a company. I learned how to perform due diligence, you know, all the things you need to be a successful investor and it demystified investing uh, for me and made it accessible. It's not rocket science, but like any, anything you need to learn about it and you learn by doing. And so, you know, my cohort, we um, eight, 80 companies applied um, for funding from us. And so we narrowed it down to 10 companies. They pitched us. We had like a pitch day. And then from there, we went into due diligence on three. And then we made the decision to invest in one of those companies. And so it was like a, a whole process. And then, you know, we had help. We had mentors who would help us. Um, you know, is this a good valuation of the company? You know, we did due diligence. And so I learned really, um, you know, by doing and learning, you know, kind of best practices to be a great investor. And, and that was really a great experience. And then I'm learning with uh, other women uh, who are like-minded and really interesting. Um, Pipeline did a really great job of curating the groups. Uh, each of us had our own strengths. And um, so it was a great, a great way uh, to learn. And, and to this day, you have I to do it on your own, right? That's what I was about to say to this day. I think it's so important to um, invest with other people um, even, you know, and we can talk a little bit about my fund, but I think, I learned that I work better with other people. Um, you avoid blind spots. Someone may see something that I may have missed, or I may see something that they may have missed, um, and it's it's important. Absolutely, and you know, you said they have about five hundred members, and you know what, Lorene, I would love to see that be five thousand, wouldn't you? I mean, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we need to accelerate more women being in this. But there are more and more female-founded funds. We just need more women investing in those funds. I always tell people every week, it's a very exciting world to learn about all the fascinating new innovations. It can be very lucrative. It can absolutely really be your legacy yeah. to discover something. And, and these women uh, that have these innovative ideas that can help impact the planet We'll never see the light of day if we don't get funding behind them. And they're not getting funding from the male-led funds, which leads me to, you know, the female-led funds, which is mm -hmm. what you're involved in, um, right. the portfolio, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. The uh, Rising America Rising Fund. America, thank fund you. Fund one and two, yeah. Yes. We have yes. two funds. Mm -hmm. Which is very focused, right, on women, people of color, LGBTQ, just that yes. Yeah. Right? So really, our thesis is we're investing in, um, you know, diverse, uh, you know, one of the founders is diverse or LGBTQ or products and services that 
uh, impact uh, or you know, impact those markets. Uh, and we, you know, we've, we have two funds. The first fund, we launched it in 2019, the end of 2019, um, before COVID, before George Floyd. And, you know, we were able to get some great investors. And then we made um, 17 investments in some really great companies. And then off of the momentum of our first fund one, uh, which, by the way, we got results recently, we have a net um, internal rate of return. Um uh, unrealized. We haven't had an exit yet, but we deployed all the capital within two years at 44%, which puts us in some of the top, like the top VC funds of 20, you know, vintage year 2020. So, which is really remarkable and it shows that our thesis is, um, you know, we have the right thesis and, um, you know, it's interesting when I, when I first launched the fund, I would tell people the thesis investing in diverse like companies, LGBTQ. And some people said to me, um, surprise, surprise, white men said, to me, well, why don't you just invest in the best entrepreneurs? So it was like an implicit, they were implicitly saying that these are not the best entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And I actually pushed back and said, actually, these entrepreneurs, women, people of color, because they don't get funding the way that others get, you know, they are incredibly capital efficient. They have to be because they don't know if they're going to get another round of funding. And they, I tell people they have to make, you know, 50, you know, a dollar out of 50 cents, you know, they have to, and it's studies have shown that, you know, women um, for every dollar they get in VC, you know, they generate about 70 cents versus men, 31 cents. Um, And so, yeah, that, that is truly what they have to do. So they're incredibly capital efficient, I consider them high-performing entrepreneurs because they don't have the luxury of getting a big, you know, a big round or a big check. They get less than funding and they have to be scrappy. They have to be resilient. And so, you know, to me, those are, you know, the best entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And um, because uh, so many of the unicorns are coming out of these funds and that pool that you're talking about, uh, more people are starting to sit up and recognize they're missing out on a lot uh, if they don't invest in uh, these entrepreneurs uh, in the underserved community, right? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think also the other thing I would add also is if you look at the demographics in the United States, it's changing. It's becoming, um, you know, it's going to be a majority minority by 2046. uh, And if you look at more women, you know, well, right. No, I mean, all of women and then, you know, more women are getting more women are in college, getting college educated. You know, there's going to be a shift of wealth to women. And then by the end of this decade, women are going to control most of the wealth in this country for various fact reasons. Um, so it's no longer um, it's no longer the way it was. And so for, for companies, for VCs not to embrace this change, you know, you know, it's a good thing to do, but put that aside from a purely business strategic standpoint. If you're not doing that, your competitors are going to do it. You're going to get left behind. And so if you just look at consumer trend trends, buying power, the Latino market, the black market, the Asian market, LGBTQ women, we're massive markets and 70% of our GDP in this country comes from consumers. And so for a VC to like kind of not look at that and look at companies, I'll give an example, a breast pump, right? A breast pump had not been innovated for a number of years, for decades. And so Trish tells a story, Trish Costello is the founder of Portfolio. She tells the story of, you know, and that's why she launched Portfolio, of a woman who created this breast pump that had technology. And she said, I'm going to introduce you to VCs that I know. 
And they said, um, you know, no, well, one said, I'm sorry, I can't invest in this. And she said, why? It's great technology. And he said, because it's icky. And she said, what? The ick factor. He's like, I can't be in my Monday venture meetings talking about breast pumps, breast milk, breasts. It's icky. And so women are more than 50% of the, the, the country. Women have kids. It's a product that can benefit women who are breastfeeding. And, women and because he's 80% of the buying decisions, right? Right. But because he feels uncomfortable, this company didn't get funding from him. So there's something wrong with that. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't see, feel like one group of people should be deciding innovation in this country, particularly when the country is changing and there's problems that impact communities of color, women, um, and because they're not entrenched in it, they're not going to get funding. And I'm sorry, there's something, you know, wrong with that. Right. And, you know, and I'd mentioned in my TED talk, uh, Fund Women Save the World, that uh, really research shows that people do tend to invest in people they identify with. So that is why Mm -hmm. it's so important that we have more women at the decision making table. Absolutely. And more LGBTQ. You know, it's important that they're at the investment decision making table. And that's something we're trying to hit home every day. That's why people listening have an opportunity to invest in funds like yours if they qualify to do so, if they're an accredited investor. There are so many women who could be accredited investors who are not stepping up to the table, but this is why we're having this conversation. This is why, right. And this is why you have your podcast to to shed light on this. And, you know, interesting stat in terms of, um, it may have gone up a bit, but I know like as of a year ago, accredited investors, um, you know, there's about 10 million women in the United States who are accredited investors of those 10 million, only half of 1%. So not even 1%. So point 5% 5% invest in early stage companies versus men who are accredited investors, 30% of men invest in early stage companies. And yeah. so if we're able to get more women activating their wealth and investing in early stage companies, you know, we can, we can change things. We can fund great companies that are led by women, people of color, that then they're going to go out and they're going to hire people. And this is all boat rises, they rise. And so if we have more people who are, you know, um, have employees, these employees will go out and they'll buy homes, they'll buy goods, you know, so it's actually doing the country a disservice. Um, And they've shown Citibank did a great looking at just, you know, black people, people of color, Um, you know, if, if, if people were given of color, the same opportunity in terms of funding, you know, it would generate $2 trillion to the economy, like just to trickle down, like in terms of just all these things, like, and so, to me, it's like we're doing ourselves a disservice as a company, as a country by not doing this. Right. And it makes the world a better place. That Absolutely. But I'm just talking about, you know, the bottom line is some people don't care about making the world. Unfortunately, they care about dollars. They care about money. And so I argue. So when I talk, it's not even an argument. When I um, explain it, I sometimes with certain people, not everyone, I put it in dollars and cents because at the end of the day, there are some people who only respect the dollar and, you know, and so, you know, so it's not only a good thing should think you should be doing it because it benefits like just, it's a good thing to do and, you know, creating equitable for everyone. But if people, not everybody believes that everybody should be treated equally, let's right. be realistic. You're but a lot of people, a lot of people like the, the green, the dollar. So 
you know, you're, you're as passionate about this as I am. <laughs> right. And the second part of what I was going to say is where it does benefit the people who don't care about other people is that these women and people of color that you're funding have innovations that will impact the planet in a positive way that does affect them and their families and their children and their heirs. Absolutely. So, uh, that's why they should care. Like just, you, you know, just this week, I, I had on my uh, panel uh, a woman who's um, helping uh, process food waste into recyc- upcycled food. I mean, it came from a woman. You know, had had she not gotten funding, this would be impacting the world adversely. People each have ideas, their planet. That's why we're our purpose on the planet. Right. And women are half of those people, and as well as uh you know, people of color and, and, and LGBTQ were a huge, like you said, a majority of the population. If you're leaving all that innovation and brain power on the wayside, it will adversely affect the planet because of all Absolutely. the innovations that they do bring to the table. So. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, everything you're saying, yeah, we're, we're preaching to the choir. Absolutely. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, how could people get involved in your portfolio fund? Yeah, so we're actually um, open to investments. We're actually probably going to close shortly. So um, hopefully, um, if you're interested, definitely reach out. Um, so we'll be um, probably doing a third fund. I'm guess I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah, we will. We're going to be launching a third fund shortly. So, uh, but no, definitely, you know, get on our radar or just reach out to us. Um, you know, you can, people can find me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, you know, Twitter or social media, but it's portfolio P O R it's like portfolio, but an a, because yeah. we're focused on getting women into this asset class of venture capital, um, and activating the wealth of women. And, um, my fund, we've done 13 funds. Um, I've done two of the funds, um, and they've been very successful, and, uh, but we have funds, we've had funds, uh, green and sustainability, as you mentioned, um, you know, femtech, uh, portfolio was the first, uh, created the first femtech fund focused on women's health ever in the United States. Now there's a lot of people have jumped into the space. It's a hundred billion dollar plus industry, but there was not a fund focused on women's health. Again, women are more than half the population, you know, have, you know, health issues, people not looking at menopause or, you know, all kinds of things. And so we created that first fund and now people, others, others have followed. Um, We have an active aging fund, products and services targeting baby boomers or improving the lives uh, of baby boomers. So we have that kind of fund. So, you know, we don't have the run of the mill funds. We have some really interesting funds that we've created that are addressing and solving problems um, that need to be solved that are typically overlooked by traditional VCs. Right. What a wonderful niche. What a great thing you're doing. Definitely living your purpose on the planet. Thank you. And you are likewise you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you guys uh, listening uh, that are not seeing the uh, video, you can uh, look up Lorene. It's L-O-R-I-N-E. Uh, Pendleton, P-E-N-D-L-E-T-O-N. Look her up on LinkedIn. Uh, check out Portfolio uh, with an uh, A. Portfolio, yeah. Um, they're doing such great work. And if you want to learn more, also, you can um, get some training through um, that pipeline angels that she mentioned. So there are angel groups just about in every city. Uh, women can reach out to them to learn more about it. 
um, if you are an accredited investor and have not stepped into this amazing and fascinating world, you need to do so. So please look for us on social media. Uh, I'm Catherine Gray at Invest in Her on Instagram, and we are She Angel Investors on all the others. Uh, you can look for Lorene as well. And uh, just remember to invest in her. Uh, put your money behind another woman. Uh, no matter what, what opportunity you use to do that, it could be hiring her. It could be investing in an equity crowdfund. Or it could be, uh, if you're an accredited investor, being an angel investor and limited partner. Thank you so much for tuning in. Lorene, thank you so much for generously giving of your time. Everybody, make it a great week. Thank you. And remember to check out the Wealthy Women's Summit put on by our podcast sponsor, The Bra Network. Here's a message from their founder, Carrie Murray. I know we've all been to hundreds of conferences, just hearing the word conference and you can picture the lanyard and the name tag and the taste of cold coffee. You wrap up, you post on Instagram, maybe you get a swag bag, you leave thinking, well, now that I'm empowered, what's next? How does this help my growth, both personally and professionally? Well, it's time to change things up. It's time to shake things out. Prosperity plus abundance. Flourish plus consciousness. That is the Wealthy Women Summit. Set for August 25th and 26th in the beautiful Long Beach Harbor, right next to the Queen Mary, docked is the Sir Winston Yacht, because nothing says a conference about wealth than a conference that takes place on a yacht. We are going to be have panels and speakers and workshops on all the different decks, everything to help you cultivate a life that is more than just wealth, meaning the money you have in the bank, but wealth in mind and body, wealth in leadership and growth, wealth in health, wealth in life. We want to provide you with a full experience of living a wealthy lifestyle. Now, I want you to head over to the wewosummit.com website. It's wewo, W-E wosummit.com and use promo code invest to get 15% off your ticket to this very unique experience. See you this summer. Remember, if you're looking to launch a business or grow your business, check out our e-course, Six Ways to Fund Your Business, available at sheangelinvestors.com. Our theme music was created and produced by Lindsay Tomasic.